now? Yeah, yeah, you can say whenever about, you're ready. How about now? Do I start now? Yeah, right now. Now? Or, or, or then. How about now? How about then? You can start, start <laughs> then. Hi, my name is Ferns, and this is the Massacast. Ta-da! Hey, and thanks for downloading another episode. Uh, the best way you can help out the podcast, short of uh, a grant or something, uh, is to leave a review on iTunes. Tweet about it. Mention it to your friends, your your chaplain. Bring it up at uh, the PTA. Uh, or just, you know, spread the word on FetLife or wherever you go. Just to, Just if you enjoy the show, suggest it to others who might enjoy the show. Leave a review on iTunes. That actually really helps the podcast. This episode, it's the return of uh, Morgana. She's been on the show several times. Either way, we had a great time uh, talking about everything from nerd stuff to psychology to um, my general misunderstandings of how the world works. And uh, I hope you enjoyed. Here she is. (laughs) Do you get a lot of media inquiries that want to talk to you because of Fifty Shades of Grey? It depends. I mean, Fifty Shades has certainly been its own kind of special thing. So yes, I think there's a bunch of folks in professional SM community that have gotten the requests or it'll often be that, you know, someone will know a dominatrix. Right. And so then that media request will come through. So yeah, this in the last like three months, it's come up a bunch. And how how do you, because it's such a bad... Well, I, I think we have we talked about on. I don't past, know that we've talked about it. About on this. your what? Maybe I've just tried. Maybe when the last couple times you've been on the show, maybe I've specifically tried to avoid talking about it or something. <laughs> right. But, but um, uh, you know, you're you're smart. I try to be. So I'm curious what your you you're not as angry as I am. Like physically, maybe you're just so maybe you're more zen than I am about it. Or well, I think you know what it is is I have an incredibly high tolerance for really bad um, pop consumer culture. You're, like you're pop used media. to you're used to the exposure of it. Yeah, and also I you know consume much of it myself, right? So like I I can hardly like I I read really bad young adult science fiction and. Um, you know, I, I watch kind of, I'm a teenage boy at the movies. So like, I'm the last person to like throw down to the mat for like high art. <laughs> so, so my, I'm actually really, I would say I'm broadly permissive with, in regards to, you know, kind of bad art. Right, um, right. And, and so it's not like, you know, it's not so much that it's like a horribly written book, which it is, you know, it's, it's perhaps more offensively terribly written than right. some of the other really bad schlock like pulp fiction <laughs> that I'll read um and and this honestly is a glaring review yeah right no I mean like it's it's like horse pooey right like it's bad news and yeah and I I had to you know I read it and I, I put this in caveats because I'm an extremely fast reader and I it's a skim you don't need to like you know like I sat down in an afternoon because there came a point where I knew I want to be able to talk about this and I can't trash talk it right, <laughs> I haven't right, read it right so just like and I read the first book and I figured that's fine. Yeah. I don't need to read the other two. Right. I have a sense of how it all turns out. <laughs> right. um, the only, I, I think the reason why I don't just, you know, see sort of red and I'm livid about it is that I do appreciate the utility of even really bad, like kinky fiction to introduce someone to a thing that they've had kind of brewing in them. So I appreciate that there are folks for whom that that series of books was absolutely like their root. It was a thing yeah. that allowed them to speak their desire. And I actually appreciate the fact okay. that it was so epic. I mean, there was a moment where if I was out and about, any woman on a Kindle was reading Fifty Shades of Yeah, Grey same on. thing with the subway. Right? right? Yeah. You yeah. would just like, you would look over people's shoulders and it was like, you know, this, your Kindle, it's not a veil of invisibility. <laughs> I know exactly what you're reading on that. And, and that made me happy in the sense that sometimes it's not the ideal articulation of the community. You know, I, th- I think of my own LGBT community and some of the big breakthrough crossover representations were not the ones that were, you know, optimal. They were these, you know, the sexless buddy and, the, right. you know, like these things where you're just like, well, totally not re- representative of the community, but it's baby steps. Right. And so I, the thing I actually quite like about Fifty Shades is that it was such a 
you know, massive piece of shit that it inspired a huge amount of criticism. Right. And the criticism has been really smart. Maybe it's similar to, um, so for me, uh, have you seen Transparent on Amazon? I have, I have, uh, that's a whole nother set of strong yeah. feelings. So this is, okay, so um, I have a friend who hates it because it's, uh, she claims that it should have been a trans person. Yes. Right. I'm in that camp myself. Okay. How I believe it wouldn't have been made. Yeah. Right. It wouldn't have been made with, without the trans person. And it wouldn't have been on Amazon. Right. Right. That was the only reason. There's a phrase I've heard recently. Just last night, I heard this phrase and I told Saad, I'm like, oh my God, I've been looking for a phrase that sums up my feelings towards this and other things that are similar. Mm. And that is, don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good. Mm. Right. Mm. So that. Just because it's not perfect doesn't mean it's still not good, right? right. In fact, uh, there's been a, there have been several, tons of news stories about trans rights that came after this, right? Right. right. Um, and who would have guessed that someone playing a trans person would be winning a global glo- glo- Golden Globe? And not only that, playing a trans because although I, that I happens won- all the time, that happened last year, well, right? Like we love giving men awards uh, for playing right, women, right. so there's a, well, actually a strong history of that. I actually avoided watching it because I thought they're going to be making fun of trans people. I don't want to watch right. that, right? right? And then when I saw it, realizing it wasn't really that. Right. At least I didn't. It wasn't. It wasn't. It wasn't just making. Hey, let's make fun of a guy in the dress, right? right? right. Um, so don't make. Maybe don't make perfect the enemy of the good. Is the same thing I should think of when it comes to 50 shades and we'll talk about what you think of transparent as well. Sure. Sure. No, it's funny. And it's, you know, I think a part of this might be also recognizing that my, my response or my critique of a thing doesn't have to invalidate people who find it really powerful and and invalidating. And for 50 shades in particular, I think this phenomenon has been really powerful for submissive women and for women with submissive fantasies, which is something that's super verboten in our culture. A lot of women, particularly, you know, kind of modern post-feminist women are not allowed to acknowledge that they have these fantasies. Obviously it struck on a kind of, you know, low common denominator in terms of what people were we're like you it's know the nicest insult. <laughs> it's it's struck on a, it's struck on the lowest common denominator in terms of really well, ringing women's bells. Breathers really enjoy it, is what you're saying. Well, or you know, and it's not to say that there aren't plenty. I mean, here's actually where when I first heard of Fifty Shades, the way I became aware of it was that is as I understand it, it started out as Twilight erotic fanfic. Yeah. yeah. So I'm a huge fan of the Twilight books, <laughs> okay. and those books are also shit, <laughs> right. but they are really entertaining, and right. I get the idea of them. And part of why I like them in the way that I enjoy some young adult science fiction is that they are really about power exchange right, right. and, you know, kind of a strange chastity and all these things that I was just like, yeah, these are great. And, and the other people reading those books were all kind of kinky, queer people my age. Sure. Right? right. I don't, I didn't know like these, I mean, I did go to see all the movies with these same queer kinky people and we'd be in line like feeling, you know, really hilariously old um, <laughs> and fully conscious that we were not consuming anything similar to art so is it i wonder is it for you the same way like star wars episode one is for me where it's like it's not good but there are lightsabers right, right. is it like that for you and you're like oh, God, no, that's, it's not it's, good this but- is harder though i'm i'm harking back to this conversation i had with a friend's six-year-old who who I you know, this is I I get more angry and more passionate about episode one I think okay because it is, and and maybe episode one and Lego because okay. it has misinformed a okay. huge generation who believe that Anakin Skywalker was a good guy and that um you know like Jango Fett is actually the important person in the Fett family <laughs> right right and right. and so I was having this whole conversation with my six year old friend who everything he knows about Star Wars comes from Legos and I right. was like dude. You have been, you have been, your, your childhood has been wrecked. And metachlorians. You shouldn't ha- know about, there shouldn't no even be No one should know a what a metachlorian right. is. This is, this is a, this is bad science. Have you seen the new trailer? Yes. Are you, do you have your fingers crossed? I have my fingers crossed. I saw it, like I was there on my um, Apple trailers the morning it came out, like ready, like hatching I, an egg. It was, oh. I, so I, I'm walking with a cane right now. Yes. Right? And just this past week, um, I went to a, a, a coworker and she's, uh, She's a woman who would have, she's 10 years older than me. So she's like in her fifties. And, uh, I said, I said, so she would have been of age right. in Star Wars. So I am walking up to my cane. I said, does this cane give me a Yoda vibe at mm-hmm. all? Mm-hmm. 
And she says, oh, you need the furry hat. I'm like, furry hat? And then she starts describing a little more. And I realize she's describing a pimp. I'm like, do you think Yoda is a pimp? She's like, yes, isn't Yoda like a pimp guy or something? Like, She thought it was like slang. And then I had to go through... <laughs> Like, yo, da, or something, right? Or right, I don't know, whatever. Right, right. So I had to sit down with her, and she missed her entire childhood, yes. but she has never seen yes. the Star Wars film. This is a YouTube. This is my favorite thing on, on the YouTube, is the um, narration, the voiceover narration of Star Wars as given by this young woman who's never seen any oh, Star Wars God. films. Okay. And it's... I've got to see this. It's spectacular. And anyway, it's, it really is the best five minutes you will spend on the internet. Okay. And, and so there's this kind of, like, wonderful graphic animation and, like, little clips of everything, and then it's just the voiceover of this, this young woman... <laughs> <laughs> who's just like, I don't need to start see the Star Wars movies. I know what the Star Wars movies are about. Right. And and it's great. I have to we maybe have to put a clip and we'll have to have the link. Yeah. The little, you need a link for that because it's 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 truly worth it. We could then this is a segue into why are kinky people also such nerds? Because the Venn diagram is tight. It I go is. I go to comic book conventions and I'm often like, mm. There is but the thing is I find when I go to kink events, mm-hmm. I'm so, uh, and I know I know my nerd shit. But I go to kink events. I'm like the least nerdy person there sometimes. <laughs> I mean, yeah, because there's a high bar. Right. Right. And similarly, I mean, like I have the inverse at the comic conventions where I don't do the cosplay, but mostly because it's not fair. Right. <laughs> right. I can't show up with my corsetry and my boots and I like see. my, you know. Right. My Scarlet Witch is going to blow you all out of the water. <laughs> right, so why right. would I do that to you? Sure. Like you're doing the best you can with some like PVC and some duct tape. And I am not going to mess that dream up for you. <laughs> well, we're... We're sitting talking, and Sad and I, we, we love nerd shit. Mm-hmm. And then. Um, I noticed you, you've got your Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. like, you know, yeah, keyed, up, keyed up on the, on the. And then we meet like Veronica, Miss Veronica, and she's like, let's play Dungeons and Dragons. And we're like, all right, this is a whole new level. It's another it's level. a whole new level. Yeah. I mean, look, I don't play video games, right? We all have our, we all right, have our like right. arenas of, got something of like, expertise. I don't think, I wonder, I, I, I think I've just discovered like the nerdy area that I don't think I've met any, I don't think I've met any Civil War reenactors in kink. I'm sure, I'm sure I have. I feel like that's actually. Ah, I think that's got to be, I, mean, that my, I think that's Regionally, a whole Regionally other... too, like you're in New England. This is exactly where you should be running into them. Yeah, I think this is, I think that's a different that's level. Amazing. I think that's a different level. They don't breed. I don't think they breed. Right. They like spawn. I will say that I find the highest correlation to be Star Trek. Actually. Yes, no, I agree. I feel like it's, you know, like this, the, the Trekkies and the Kingsters yep. were all at the same stuff. Uh, yeah, no, yes. And yeah. that's and that's very, you know, satisfying. Saad is more of a Star Trek person. Yeah. And I'm more of a Star Wars person. Yeah. But we meet in the middle. Yeah. We made it. it happen. You know, it's that's like it. Star-Cross lovers. Yeah. And then we I guess I am truly, like, you know, bi in that sense. Sure. Like in that, in the most classic use of that term. Like I can really swing both ways on that one. I think, uh, I think there's a lot of people who are very big Star Wars fans mm-hmm. who got into Star Trek because... That's what you watched in between Star Wars episodes, right? Right. So well, and I will, I'll, so I'll caveat that because the Star Wars is a part of like all of our like seminal, you know, sort of like identity formation, right. forming youth. Like that was our, you know, kind of like Joseph Campbell moment yes. when we were young people. And then um, the next generation was my college you know, early college year watching where you were just like, oh, my God, this is an allegory for every social justice issue of our time. So speaking of what now, this is going to be slightly non-kink, but I'm sure we can bring it back around. All right. Follow follow us. Follow us. Listeners. I heard a podcast it. recently where someone was talking about how Star Wars is a li- that like, you know, forget about like episode one, but we're talking about the Star Wars universe. The, the real ones. <laughs> is right. The real stuff. Yeah. That and you think about the general universe of Star Wars is... Um, compared to Star Trek, the universe in Star Trek, Mm -hmm. that Star Trek is a little racist in that in Star Trek, you have a race of people Mm -hmm. and they all act the same, right? Mm -hmm. All Vulcans act this way. All Mm -hmm. Ferengi Mm -hmm. are greedy and they're they're, they're all this way. And all, you know, all yeah, this strong tropes. Well, because they're all... allegories, right? So, like, sort of Trek is highly symbolic, which is why you get the, yeah, big. Right. And whereas in Klingons Star... are all the same. Yes, yes. Yes. And in Star Wars, hey, you go to, you know, if you're going to go to the the bar. Right. They're all going to be hanging out. You I'm know? Gonna, I'm, although, you know, like, wo- Wookiees are Wookiees. Yeah, okay. Ewoks are Ewoks. Yeah. Stormtroopers being clones, they're all pretty much the I, same. But see, 
Ewoks are Ewoks because they're just, I mean, Useless? what else are you going to do? Yeah, no, because you're like, what, I'm two feet tall and fuzzy. Right, and and I live on this, the forest right. moon of Endor. That's it. It's not like I can go to my, university here. My lips and fingers barely articulate. What what am I supposed to do with this? Right, right. Yeah. yeah. Oh, fuck, I'm getting, ah. Oh. Yeah. This is the second time this week when that goddamn Ewok song is going to be stuck no, in my I'm head. No, I'm so sorry. I didn't, did I introduce the song? I did not, but, <sighs> Yeah. Because we watched it again recently, and yeah. I, I always remember to shut it off before yeah. it gets to that end song. I'm going to link. Okay, so I have a way of getting us back to kink. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to share some personal personal insight into, yeah. into Mistress Morgana. Sure. So my a lot of my root in kink actually came out of my love of, like, 1970s science fiction films and superhero films. It was a good era for, like, you know, kind of... Popular science fiction sure, and yes. superheroes, right. right? In the popular sense. No, I agree. Um, I agree. I was thinking of Superman for a second. There. Well, okay, so right. Superman's where I'm going with this. And my kind of earliest, you know, I'm feeling funny in my bathing suit area, like moments, were not about sex per se. They weren't about girls. They weren't about boys. They were about the about people in, in with special skills, heroes, superheroes in particular, right? who would suffer a moment of kind of cataclysmic torture and torment and pain and be utterly weakened. So my root is like Christopher Reeve with the kryptonite in the swimming pool, splashing around, right? Like he's, you know, and the thing, the problem with Superman, of course, is that there's no end right, to yes. his superpowers. It's, it's always a problem in the comic books as well. You're just like, at the point that you can do absolutely anything, there's no viable villain for you, but I'm going to try to, I'm going to try to stay engaged. Right. But the kryptonite to- does him in and he's splashing around and like utterly weak. And my like, you know, tiny child loins are going up in flames. And right. then of course, Miss Tessmacher jumps into the pool and kisses him before she takes the kryptonite off. Right. And that was it. I was like, whatever that is, that's my sexual orientation. You might be the only person in the history of the world <laughs> to say that name without yelling it. Mrs. Mocker! The greatest criminal mind of our time. But that's her name, damn it. Right. The poor, poor woman. He did such a good job as Lex Luthor. He did. It's I mean, true. As, as the comic book version of Lex oh, yeah. Luthor, right? Yeah. I mean, it would never pass today. And right? also, again, like Gene Hackman in the 70s, he's busy doing like fine films. Of course. And then, of course, he's Lex Luthor. And then similarly in like, you know, Jedi, which is arguably the most Muppet-filled. Right. And, and you, it's the precursor to yeah. episode one, right? You see where Lucas is going with right. it. But there's that excellent scene where like, you know, little one-handed Luke is trying his best to save his dad. Sure. And the Emperor just like, you know, Violet wands the living hell out of him and for you that was that was a big oh god it was the best part of that entire i mean like i was pretty happy when they put han in the in the carbonite like that <laughs> that worked especially because the face right? right like he's all kind of like curled lips and the fingers up and sure again i had that action figure um so so did you take any lesson from your kink i mean early on before mm-hmm. you know did you know okay look i can be really bad but no matter how bad I get, no disintegration. No disintegration, right? That's it. <laughs> He's no this good is to the me, Dad. Nerdiest episode <laughs> it ever. Is. It is. Ever. It is. I know. I'm, uh, I'm turning off one huge group of people and inviting a whole new uh, yes. group in. Oh yeah, tr- yeah. Oh, trust me. It's endearing. Don't yeah. worry. Don't yeah. worry. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. We'll no, get emails. We'll get tons of emails. That's it. When you can have her back on. Right, but no, I do think though because I, I have to imagine. That, like, you know, and I clearly, it is true that my counterpart in this exists, that those kind of early archetypal um, fallen heroes were both the thing that I then realized, like, that's that's the thing I want. And maybe more specifically, like, that's the thing I want from boys. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> like, it was very specific. Um, but then, you know, I ended up, like, you know, hog tying and pinning down, like, lots of boys in these very, like, non-genitally sexual kind of ways. And right. these very, like, I'm not going to do anything with you. I am actually going to just, like, kind of press you up against this brick wall and, like, you know, enough to break the skin. And, this and that's, that's th- going to take This was, it. you were still... Like, it was, like, grade school, junior high, right? into high school. You know, that was the whole time. That's really, that's really fascinating. I'm curious now, what other... These boys are all out there right now listening, going, oh, my God. I I went to grade school with her, Fort Collins, Colorado. I'm sorry. That was me. I messed you up. (laughs) There are there any other. So let's let's kind of go through this. And Mm -hmm. maybe there's something will you might not know the answer now, but maybe something Mm -hmm. will trigger. So Superman. Yeah. Superman uh, with the the kryptonite kryptonite. in the pool. Um, Certainly like in Jedi, 
Luke being, you know, sort of like shocked and writhing around right. on the floor. Most, most, sure. uh, most excellent. And then where do I go? I mean, like Terminator had some really good ones. The Kyle character who gets sent back, they beat the crap out of him. Right. That's very right. satisfying. Um, and in that way where, you know, like then like, you know, tiny, like Farrah Fawcett, Sarah Connor is bandaging him all up and learning how to do things. And he's admitting to her that he's a virgin. Right. Like, and you know, like everything is just about the pain and he just like, <laughs> right. it's like he's there because like he's in love with her and he's never had sex, but he really understands how to tolerate pain. Of course. I'm right, like, right. well, you just, I, you, that's all I want from a man now. Thanks. Thank you. you the you've articulated set. something for me. I didn't know I needed it, but right. now, now I know. But you know, it clearly took another like 20 years before I had actual language around right. this. Of course, of course. Yeah. Um, similarly, um, the Hicks character, this is Michael Bean twice. Michael Bean. Is Michael Bean? Wait, am I doing this right? Yes. Who's um, Kyle and Terminator. You're going to have to edit this if I'm getting his name wrong. Uh, not Sean Bean, Michael Bean. And I, then I'm he's not... Hicks and Aliens. Really, am I going? Am I, am I going? Oh, it's too oh. far. Um, we can look. We right. can look. Do you, the, to, do you want me to look it up on IMDb? Or? Uh, I'm going to I'm going to say that I'm right with it. OK. Um, so he's also got some good like get splashed with like alien acid. That was excellent. That's so um, that's really I mean, alien acid. That's I know. Right. Wow. That's yeah. that's really a lot. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's not so much that he's like thoroughly incapacitated, but right. enough. And, you oh, know, okay. and also because like these are like strong, butch, capable people. It's only interesting if they start really strong. Right. And right. then they get like physically wounded to the point of incapacity and dependence. That would be my that would be my route, which I feel like was uh, completely nurtured by seventies and eighties science fiction and action films. Did, was there? Thanks, Hollywood. There, there really, <laughs> there, there really isn't much. I'm trying to think because I, I wouldn't have I, I wouldn't have identified those if you hadn't pointed those out yeah. as you know. Um, however, like um, for me, I was I, I had always imagined like Wonder Woman you know capturing right. me but not because i was a good guy or right. whatever but for no reason right. right or something like that. i mean i love some wonder woman right don't get me wrong like that was linda carter was i think my first like instance of like i don't know i want to i want something to do with this i want to be this right. i want to be like you know snuggled up next to this there was a thing and right. she had like the, you know she had the lasso of truth yeah. She had like, you know, she came with the bondage. Right. She had like high femme with like the I'm kind of wearing my corset onesie and boots. Right. She was like clearly lesbian. Boots and then and, and then she crime. turned into Wonder Woman by doing the worst like pirouette in the yeah. history of television spinning. Right. Where you were really just like, man, they they that crew must have been every time like, don't fall over. Because <laughs> right. she right. could right. not spot her. I don't know if you've seen it lately, right? Yeah. It does not age well. The theme song. Ooh, is yeah. really bad. It, no, it, by bad, you mean good. In your satin tights. Yes. yes. Oh my God, it's horrible. Yeah. It's horrible. Yeah. Well, because this was like women's lib. Yes. Fighting for your rights in your satin. It's just. So, you know, there's this amazing book that's come out, um, The Secret History of Wonder Woman, yeah. which I don't know if you read the New Yorker article came out sort no. of in the fall. I'm which not was smart enough to read the New Yorker. Riveting. Every time I do, they slap it out of my hands. No, because at least once, at least once a month, I'm like, oh, I try to keep up on Syria, but I'm really just waiting. What's <laughs> like, a highly digestible article about pop culture? And, um, and yeah, it's, you know, the, the creator of Wonder Woman was this polyamorous yeah. female supremacist, yeah. um, you know, ahead of his time, one would argue would still be today. Yeah. And it's, it's riveting. It's yeah, really got, riveting stuff. And when you look at his, uh, his artwork, tons of, I mean, his artwork yeah. is just like riddled with it. Didn't yeah. he also like invent silly putty or something? Uh, the, uh, the polygraph. So <laughs> Yeah, right. That's right. Poly polygraph. Right. Because the, the, yeah. the lasso of truth. Of Polygraphy course. and Wonder Woman. So, again, our people, kinky people, poly people, our people are responsible for some good stuff. Man, I was way off with that silly putty thing. I love that. Didn't you invite silly, silly putty? Uh, polygraph. Damn it. It was good. Even if Slinky would have been closer. Slinky would be great. Yeah, man. But uh, that, so I don't, who, I don't know who invented silly putty. Well... That's I like to have was some it, questions left which, unanswered. Which on of every the monkeys invented whiteout or paperclip? Jones is no, not Mickey Jones. Nez, Nez, Nez. Mike, Mike Nesmith's mother invented whiteout. There you go. Right, it was in there somewhere. It's God. it's useless as cocktail party conversation if you can't remember it. And right. the older I get, the more I find myself slipping into mollypropisms. <laughs> Which I will frequently just be with friends who are like correcting me by one word. <laughs> I have um, my only skills are knowing this information. Like if I had a if I could do it, if there was there's no job, there's no job that requires this information. Right. right. And so it's like, yeah, I got it, though. Yeah. I've got it. Yeah. Um, it's my only superhero power. Right. Um, OK, so okay. Um, 
What have we covered? We've got... Well, I was going to ask you about, about Transparent. Oh, yes. There are many times when I'll be like, this is great. Yeah. This is so good. I, I, I watch it. You know, I had avoided it for so long because I thought, I don't want to watch them making fun of, you know, this great actor in a... In a, in a, in a and, and I didn't want to see him making fun because right. I like him as an actor. Right. I didn't want to see him making fun of guys who put on dresses or, you know, I, I, I was like, then I finally watched it. And one night we watched them all. And I was like, this is so good. Yeah. This is so good. And then I started thinking, I wonder, I actually thought, to me, I wonder if people are upset by this in, you know, cause I thought, how can they be upset? This is great. And then to course, the Internet. And then right. you're like, oh, people are really upset about yeah, this. Right. Right. Yeah. So yeah. t- tell me, tell me the argument against it. So the argument against it, which is my argument, right. right, is that one of the hinges that transphobia works on is that it denies the gender orientation that a person is telling you is theirs right. and is heavily focused on whatever the kind of gender assigned at birth is. Right. So we can't think of trans women without having to think, well, what, what are you really? Where did you start? Like, what's the beginning? If I, you know, will in conversation talk with someone about being a trans woman, like, you know, this is a friend of mine who's a trans woman. I'll be like, okay, wait. So, and you can see the math happening, right? Sure, right. And, and this is the thing that informs like really invasive questions about what someone's genitals look like. Right, sure. And, you know, all these things that as a cisgender person, I never have to suffer because I never start an interview. And, you know, like in the history of you having like women on your show, I'm going to just guess because you're a polite, submissive guy, but also because you're just like, you know, not a douche that you don't sit down and say, so what do your labia look like? Right. Like, but trans women have to suffer this question constantly. Yeah. And so this notion that, um, the trans women could be played by men reifies a kind of idea or a kind of very subtle and sometimes not so subtle, uh, cultural trope that trans women are in fact men right. in women's dresses, uh, men in women's clothes. And right, that, right. and that that's the thing we have to look at. And then in today's Hollywood, and then particularly not even today's like this year's Hollywood, right? Cause right. we're in a amazing media moment of powerful trans women speaking their own narratives and, and, you know, writing and acting and being media makers, sure. not just the subjects, right. Yeah, yeah. That in this moment, this show comes out that chooses to cast a guy, a, tra- a cis guy, yeah. as a trans woman. Um, and in a way that consults like uh, F2M community fairly well, there's good F2M representation, but not as much trans women representation. Trans women are extras in the show, but not the protagonist. Um, and so it becomes a kind of, you know, cis washing, if you will, sure, sure. of these characters. Now, I'm going to say... This is a matter of audience. So I live in, in like, I live in community with trans folks. My partner is trans. Like, this is very much like not a thing that I go and visit. Right, right, <laughs> right? It's my home base. Right, right. And so I'm not the audience for this show right. in a lot of ways. Um, I do think that there is something absolutely powerful about a show that is humane and deeply interested in accurately representing the truth of a community portraying something like on it's on Amazon, right? right? It's like broadly accessible and, and that you get to say like, wow, I have access to someone's truth in a way that I didn't before. I'm like, that's great. And what I would hope that people who are really in love with that show would do is exactly what you did and say, this is great. And I really enjoy this. And what's next? What am I missing? Right. And what more should I know? We don't have to throw it out. I'm not like, you know, no one's calling for like a boycott of this show. Right. Um, you know, when the writers of the show say they're going to, I mean, they, I feel like the, the producers on the show have been clumsy. I think when you make kind of broadly paternalistic statements, and I'm using this word purposefully, recognizing the showrunner's a woman, that, you know, there aren't any women screenwriters who are going to train someone up. I got six women for you in my pocket. Like, <laughs> you just aren't in community. Yeah. You, you're not, you're showing me your slip. You're showing right. me that you're not actually connected enough. Um, I think of a beautiful independent film that came out a couple, three years ago, Gun Hill Road, that was about a trans youth. And this amazing actress um, played a trans actress, played a trans youth, and she played herself pre-transition, which, um, again, the kind of 
producer line that I've heard on Transparent is, well, we didn't want to ask a woman to play herself pre-transition. And, you know, this character starts out a man and then becomes a woman. And I'm like, well, first, unless you're really going to be sluggish with your storyline, that's just for the first season. So you've actually really cast yourself into a corner. Yeah. yeah. If, if, you know, unless Jeffrey Tambor is really ready to start taking some moans we don't know about, you're, it's, I'm going to be curious. And then B, let women make that decision for themselves. Let trans women make a decision how they want to represent themselves on film. Yes, you're right, obviously. Um, I still believe it wouldn't have been... I think real change doesn't happen until two things happen. One, the people who are affected by the change stand up and start getting heard, right? Mm -hmm. And then you need, not all, but some of the people like my mom, Mm -hmm. who is a homophobic, racist, uh, you know... You bring the, you bring the middle along, right. right? But she's a nice person. She's a nice lady, yeah. right? She's the type of person who says, "I don't think gays should get married because it's against God's law." I have so many friends who are gay. Yeah. You know, I'm like, well, no, no, you don't. Not really. You <laughs> right, know, right, right. She needs to understand that, and the only way she's going to understand it is if she has the most clean down, stripped down version of it. Right. That's it. It's like, um, I don't know. Could would we have? You know, that the only you need to have the Jack Trippers, the offensive Jack Tripper on his <laughs> company. Right. Oh, yeah. You need to have that stepping stone mm-hmm. before you can go. You know, I'm not saying it's right, you know, but I mean, I think what you're saying is that social change happens in something other than a single point fashion. And I think that this is true. I think that in the United States and I'll, I'll kind of be culturally specific, I would not ever credit the significant advances we've had in civil rights to the dominant cultural group. The significant changes that we've had have always been because of the radical fringe who are the most personally affected by an injustice. And that is a group that I myself have participated in. Sure. And often we make it impossible to continue business as usual and people are uncomfortable and really unhappy dealing with us and so when a more moderate sort of option comes up we make that more palatable yeah so even when the more moderate option is the one that becomes palatable and folks take take it up i'm going to credit the radicals for creating an environment in which the moderate solution was palatable i would never (laughs) argue with that i would never argue with that but i think there still needs to be uh the option for People like my mom mm-hmm. to at least have oh, some some sort of even though it's not empathy. Yes, and I would suggest something that's you know beyond there always needs to be the option. I feel like that is in fact the predominant option. I don't think we're ever looking at a kind of cultural milieu or a media landscape in which there's not an option right. for the mainstream. Right. These things are created for the mainstream. What those of us that are pushing back against it are saying is we'd actually like an option for representation that truly reflects us. What I think and I hope happens is that places like Amazon and what, well, I mean, Amazon's just five years from now, there are going to be so many more options yeah. out there, right? Yeah, which is um, But there's the benefit right now of, even though my mom's never going to watch it. She yeah. doesn't know how to hook up Amazon to, you know what I mean? She's that I have to go to the Amazon to, yeah. you know. Oh, the Amazon, you know. it's very right. challenging, yes. Right, and so it's not that she is, there, she's never going to watch it, right? Right. But she has to know that if the subject comes up, right. which may not, but she has to know that, hey, I'm going to, in right. my Facebook feed, she'll see this thing. Right. And she might not have any clue what's it about. Well, right? And it pervades the culture, right? Like it, it trickled. There is, I think there is a cultural trickle down. And the this, only trickle down it's a trickle down. It is, yeah. seriously. And this will, we'll I'll swing back around to Fifty Shades around this, right? This is why I have no, um, yeah, I have no respect for the Fifty Shades trilogy. I have no, right. like, this is a thoroughly uninteresting media moment for me. I think it represents a very, like, inaccurate and unhealthy standard of kinky relationships. And I totally see its utility because it starts this conversation and it creates a teachable moment. So I think a lot of people are getting exactly what they need to out of Transparent, which is a teachable moment. And I would hope that a part of that teachable moment is that when the sort of dominant group is creating art and representation about a marginalized group, it's no matter how well-intended always inherently problematic. Yeah. And I'm a person who creates media myself. And right. I, I'm constantly in this conundrum. 
I think a part of the work is, you know, to tolerate that. Producers of that show are going to have to tolerate the fact it's so hard for them. They've got a successful show on Amazon <laughs> and they won all these awards. I mean, they're so oppressed. I feel right, really right. bad for them. Right, right. But yeah, they're going to have to tolerate the fact that some folks are going to push back against that. Right. And I would hope that the pushback is a part of what we take in. So with the Fifty Shades, I'm hoping the pushback is actually more educative for audiences right. to kind of have this sense of what represents consent. And, you know, there's this interesting, again, media moment happening around consent and what we broadly term rape culture. Right. And, you know, the like, why are we having these conversations still? Oh, right. Patriarchy. These these conversations we have to have around um, affirmative consent and and the ways in which women, all women, maybe particularly trans women, if you look at statistics around sexual violence, sure. are routinely disrespected and violated in this sense. So a, a like book like Fifty Shades, for me, represents a really problematic power exchange relationship right. that for me is also kind of borderline abuse. Might hinge on a very common fantasy of consensual non-consent, but in no way enacts that in fiction in right. a way that would be like interesting. Um, and I hope creates like, cultural space to have that conversation, right? There's no way we don't get that art to not be made. Like for every one of those books, there's, you know, just like a mountain of great kink yeah, yeah. erotica being made that reflects actual desire. There's, um, I don't know what this is called. You might know if this has a name mm. or, you know, so in, in, in researching in my own just personal research, wasn't using this for anything for the podcast or blog or anything. In researching the backlash, and when I was thinking, well, what does the community think of transparent? Right. Um, I came upon a lot of articles, blog posts, tweets, and whatever of people saying, um, listen, this is a good thing. Don't shut it down because you're just going to turn off the people who, are, who would normally support you after seeing this, right? Mm. Is it, you know mm. that argument, which I don't buy that argument, mm. but I do know of many other arguments where people who are trying to be on the right side of things. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know when I can say right side of things. It's it's akin to the person who wants to save the environment by. By having a you know ten thousand dollar plate fundraiser, and she thinks that, that right. she doesn't have to recycle. That's it. It's so right. well meaning, right. And, right. and all the well meaning in the world doesn't actually mean you're doing the thing that is necessary to affect the change. Right, exactly. And in this particular case, this is a show that's very like, oh, this person had you know the the, the showrunner had a personal experience of her parent transitioning. Right. And that was a really powerful moment for her, I imagine, as it right. is for all people whose parents transition. Right. right? It's, right. A, it's yeah, a really sure. significant thing. And so she parlayed it into a show um, and then was kind of shocked to realize that, like, the bubble of her own experience was not, you know, kind of per a perfect vacuum. Right. And that, in fact, other people's experience was going to kind of come in. I, I think sometimes people get very fragile and touchy around what it's like to have someone kind of push back and say, actually, that doesn't quite represent. And and anytime we're creating, anytime we're speaking for someone that's not our own community or our own selves, right. I think the work with that is then to just get really respectful and, and yes. step back and listen. Right. I guess my question is, okay, how do you, how do we, mm. um, let's say someone is talking about Fifty Shades of Grey mm. and how much he or she loves it. They yes. just love Fifty And at the same time, we want to say, Okay, this is a good time where we can talk about consent. When they're like, "Look, don't I just want my stories. I right. don't want I don't I don't need to hear about this. This has nothing to do with me. I just want to hear I just want my stories, right?" right. And talking about bringing up consent even even coming close to talking about it, just they're like walking away from it. They're like, "Okay, never mind." You know, yeah. because it's like such a complete shift in, you know, in ideas for them from right. Right. in this little bubble of whatever the book is, whatever. How do how do you bring up that whilst well it's at the same time saying hey that's good for you however you know I think the first thing I would want to know is like what's so what what do you love about it right? right and if what a person loves about it is that it is a trashy escape into fantasy I might just let it lay there right right because I do think that we get to have trashy escapes into fantasy right. if someone loves it because it's role modeling an ideal for them right. if someone loves it because they really want a relationship like that or I would say maybe. 
maybe particularly for men, if someone is like, yeah, man, that's the kind of woman I want. I'm going to step in and it's sort of like, well, let's a reality check our media representations and what they actually let us know about, you know, the, the exchanges that we have with folks. Um, but, but I do think we have the right to consume art and have fantasies that are untenable, that are in fact unethical, that are, you know, like truly unpalatable. We don't have the right to demand that they can be foisted on others. I don't think we have the right to say, look, I get to talk about it with everyone else because actually invoking those thoughts or fantasies or fetishes can be really activating and harmful Mm -hmm. to others that might have suffered a non-fantasy actual experience of the thing. Um, But I, I do think it's important to not shame fantasy that's like you know taboo or you know kind of gloriously messed up (laughs) and so you can you can totally get off to food i mean i would like it if you got off to something better than 50 shades of gray that that's my own you know maternal sort of like read something good Um, do you have a backup that you don't i really don't and i will tell you why it's because i'm like watching you know superman on a loop like (laughs) i i tend to go for the things that aren't purposeful and when i'm you know in my in my dungeon for instance reading a naughty story this happens all the time and you would think I'd learn from it and I never do. I will whip out one of the books of erotica that's on my bookshelf and I will start reading. And because my erotica, my kink erotica is all done by like really thoughtful, respectful people. The consent is always cheekily written into the story. Right. And even as I'm reading it, I'm like, ah, oh, my people, we, we can suck the like <laughs> sexy out of anything. And so where I have a lot of empathy for this is right. negotiation is really not sexy. Yeah, right. Right. You have to do it. Right. And I get why people don't want to do it. Right. I get why people don't want to have conversations about affirmative consent. Right, right. Um, and, you know, this is a snake that eats its tail. Like we learn about sex through this kind of osmotic incorporation of media representations of sex in which all intimacy magically happens without us needing to know anything about it or the person that we're with. And that the hallmark of a really good exchange is one in which perfect mind reading occurred to land you in this like, you know, exquisitely adrenaline filled orgasmic moment that involved no communication whatsoever. And, and, you know, I imagine that has happened for enough humans once that it really keeps you hooked in, right? It's that intermittent random reward. It's like the slot machine of sex. It is the most addictive thing. We then just keep hitting that bar until hopefully it happens again. Um, which, you know, and it, the, at best could be disappointing and at worst can be dangerous. Um, and so I, I get the conundrum and as a person whose job it is to help people negotiate and talk through their, their intimacy in a way that has the potential to rob them of a bit of the fantasy, um, the the kind of best I can do is say that, yeah, no, that is not always a sexy conversation to have. And I, I do find myself often trying to both myself be a sexual salesman and help train others to be a sexual salesman. Right. Where it's like, we're going to we're going to bring a little hustle to this game. And it is like, you know, we all if we think about all human exchanges as having a certain degree of like strategy to them, there's a way of being ethically strategic. Of course, it's not manipulative. It's honest. It's authentic. But it's strategic. There is a really good way of getting to go to the movie you want to go to the restaurant you want. And there's a like, well, that's not going to work way. Of course. And we employ good communication strategy all the time. And I think we can do that around sex, too. So you, you mentioned your job. Yes. And this is, uh, uh, would you say your job is, you're having an addition to your job or you're changing jobs or what would you say that you're doing? I have recently launched a second site, loveyourkink.com, which is a, it's really a sort of outside manifestation. It's it's my kink counseling and consulting practice, which I've been doing for the better part of 10 years, but sort of all under the rubric of Mistress Morgana. And in the course of that time, you know, several years back, I went and, you know, did a couple of graduate degrees in clinical psychology. Oh, and, no. you know, on a weekend. I, yeah, on right. A on a weekend, on, on a, a six whim. year weekend. <laughs> right. um, and, uh, and wanted to create a separate space for the individuals that I was working with more and more frequently who were seeking a consultory or counseling relationship that was different than the kind of ritual play and more hands-on work that I have done for 20 years as Mistress Morgana. Right. And so it's not a new practice. It is a new place on the internet. Um, <laughs> and and it, it sounds like you're also sort of, you want to 
make it a focus instead of just a, a this and type of thing. Yeah, it's, it was a page on, and it still is a page on mistressmorgana.com. Right. Um, but I found that it was just really information dense, right. right? There's like, it's sort of, here's the page on consulting and here's the page on diaper dominance and here's the page on bondage. And I was like, this is, this is bad web design, if nothing else. Like, this is too content-rich, and I know from my stats, everyone's just going to the gallery anyway. So uh, so there was a combination of working with a lot of women, working with a lot of couples, working with folks who were seeking out a certain kind of information and wanting to make that easier to read, easier to find. I suppose there can also be people, I imagine there are people who um, want either, either therapy or some sort of, they, they want that information, mm-hmm. but... Uh, if they go to mrsmorgana.com, they're like, whoa, hey, that's right. <laughs> wrong site, wrong right, site. Right. You know, that, that's more than the what search you want. maybe took them there. Yeah. Well, um, and they're linked. And I will say this was a very kind of, a, another reason I think for the delay is that for several years now, I've done a lot of my own kind of personal searching around um, how do I present this? Right. And I will just say, you know, I do a lot of clinical training. I train, I go in and, and train clinicians, therapists and psychologists on many issues around sexuality, including kink and polyamory and sex work. And and I'm so encouraged by this newer generation of therapists and psychologists and doctors that they are really a lot of them coming from community and very connected to sex positivity in a way that our fields have traditionally been pretty behind the times right right well we we had this discussion once before that how backwards it was but it sounds like correct me if i'm wrong you're Mm -hmm. making it sound like people who are getting into it now have maybe personal experience yeah I I think that there's more folks, and I was certainly one of these, right? Like I went to get a doctorate in clinical psychology in part because I come from multiple communities that had been highly pathologized by the fields. And I was very interested in making a difference and also had that sense, as I think a lot of folks in my, in like professional SM do, where you hit a certain like, you know, I hit my 10 year point at the time. And I was like, I'm going to have to do something other than this. Like I can't be 70 and, and do this. I, of course, now have totally moved past us, and I have every intention of being 70 and right. doing this. <laughs> but, you know, 10 years ago, I was having a little, like, I guess I should do some professional development. What's really compelling? But the most common professional development consultation I will do when other mental health professionals come and consult with me is how do I breach being like a professional domina or burlesque dancer or, you know, something that has a kind of very sexy public persona with the fact that I am now also going to be an internist or a psychiatrist or a therapist. And it's a, it's a conundrum on a few different levels. The most compelling to me being you never want a person who's coming to you for therapeutic services to suddenly realize that they're kind of safe, perhaps more neutral space to talk about their marriage, their job, their daily kind of concerns is also somewhere on the internet in like a corset and thigh high boots. Right. Um, and so I was always wanting to operate with a high degree of transparency that anybody who comes to see me for counseling understands that I live a very integrated life and that I've got 20 years of experience doing professional SM and that I've also got a master's and a doctorate in clinical psychology right. and that I'm not working as a licensed psychologist and that if they want medical advice or a diagnosis or sort of management in a team with a psychiatrist, that's another kind of professional. But if they're looking for a counselor, like a therapeutic counselor that has a kind of unique set of skills and resources... I'm I'm set up for that, and I'm really excited to work with them. So loveyourkink.com links to Mistress Morgana. Mistress Morgana links to Love Your Kink. That right. transparency felt really important. And it took a minute for me to just figure out how I wanted to do that. The other thing, too, that uh, I hear very common is when someone goes to a therapist and they're, um, and they're kinky and they don't want to omit that part, yeah. that almost the entire time that they're talking while well, like half of it is just educating the therapist yeah, too, right? Yeah, it really can. Um, because I mean, you can't expect, you know, you can't expect if you go to just a random therapist that you haven't specifically searched for their mm. knowledge on this to, to know it, right? Yeah. So it's not like it's out of the norm for them not to know sure. or whatever. And so they will have to know the context and all the intricacies of it. But at the same time, 
that's an hour where you're explaining to someone that right. is supposed to, right. you know. And, and what you can expect is that your therapist is working within the bounds of their competence. Right. Right. You are actually guaranteed as a consumer. This is an ethical responsibility of right. all medical providers. Right. Is that if they're really outside of the, their competence, their cultural competence, because I think of kink as a, a cultural competency issue, sure. that they need to inform you of this. They need to own it for themselves, right? Inform you in a non-judgmental way. Mm -hmm. And, you know, talk with you about resources. Like, do you want to help me along and educate me a bit so I could be in this with you? Or are you looking maybe to go someplace else? Or like, I'm just not going to get this right. And right. and I'll do you a disservice if I continue working with you. Right. A lot of the work that I do when I'm counseling is also more solution focused. It's shorter term. It's, it's, um, Different than more traditional psycho talk psychotherapy in that sense that I'm not necessarily doing the you're now going to see me every week right. and like five years from now we'll check in and see how it's going. Right. Often it's this very it's specific issues it's right. issue centered. Can um, you give me like an example? Or? Uh, sure, like I mean coming out issues is okay. very central. Finding a partner right. is I think probably one of the more common right. um, concerns that folks will come to me with. Uh, two top and two bottom households might be the most common couple really? configuration where both partners want the same thing. And the play is just really frustrating because of that. Right. And being kind of strategic and trying to find ways of building empathy and creating workarounds, right? Yeah. Kind of fun, creative workarounds so that both partners feel like they're getting their needs met. Right. Um, and then I would say the other significant group that I'm often working with is folks that are healing from trauma or survivors of abuse and looking to engage in either a pre-existing kink or finding that their kink is a really vital part of their own healing process. Right. And they're looking to do that with some eyes um, and a, a kind of another person to help them navigate that safely. When other professionals come to you, what, is the, what are their more common questions or concerns or what are, what are the... like? What are the most common things you hear from, from them? The most common thing that I will hear from other professionals is this very specific kind of case consultation issue. Okay. Right. So with, and this is, you know, people, when, when other professionals are working with me, we're really protecting the sort of HIPAA privacy right. of their clients. So I'm not receiving, you know, names and information, right. but I am receiving generalized uh, information about a client that a therapist or a doctor wants to be able to support. And they can't quite tell, am I hearing abuse? Am I hearing right. consensual SM? I need a framework for what this is. Um, and I actually do that a lot with therapists around trans issues and, um, you know, kind of broader, uh, broader spectrum healthcare issues for trans communities and LGBT communities. How do I would, I would, I, I would have guessed that they would, the, uh, the gut reaction would be to just, oh, well, we're, I'm going to err on the side of abuse and, you know, do whatever is legally required. How are they, is it because you're, you're, is it because of your, your, your genealogical location? Yeah. That's right? I mean, San Francisco is very helpful. Right. I'm also, again, really heartened by the number of clinicians that are clearly interested in being sex positive. Right. In understanding that like sexual wellness and sexual health is actually tremendously broad right. and filled with variation. Right. And that their gut influence, their, their kind of gut reaction is likely to be very limited and very culture bound. How do they find you? Is it just they? Is it a Google search or is it? In San Francisco, actually, what it has been over the last 10 years is just a lot of professional networking and word right. of mouth. And then also kind of this is also part of where Love Your Kink came about right. is that I realized I didn't really have a place to send people. And so it was good to be able to have a like, here's the website that right. I can send you to and you can contact me through it. Right. Um, and I do get to work occasionally with film professionals and writers and folks as well that are looking. I mean, the most interesting work I've ever done has been with police departments um, and forensic units that are looking at a crime scene that looks like it had an SM component um, that, you know, went very horribly right, wrong. Right. And they were trying to sort of establish, is this a homicide or is this a, a negligible death? I, I'm amazed that they would actually take the leap to yeah. come find you because yeah. wouldn't they just, I mean, I just, I'm really surprised. There's some good professional connections, right? That I've done some training and work with the Human Rights Commission in San Francisco. Right. And at the point that you're the kind of approachable right. SM community member, right? right? This is, I've been around since brontosauruses roamed the earth. <laughs> and, and the fortunate sort of upside of that is getting to be connected with a, a kind of broad range of service, um, service agencies. How long until you have your own 
crime-fighting TV show. Wouldn't that be amazing? I will say working in forensics and doing my postdoc in forensics sucks the fun out of watching forensic shows. Right. Um, and it's and I actually had, before I went to graduate school, I had a, a personal servant who herself was a forensic scientist. And right. so I would hear from her all the ways in which the forensic shows were, right. you know, grossly totally wrong and Um yeah, yeah, that would be great. I, I want the elite, um, like, crime-fighting slash spy team, but, you know, all made of women, and we have fancy motorcycles. I'd watch that. Right. Uh, scooters or more, I mean, anything. Yeah, or Vespas. Any type of transit, I don't care. It doesn't matter. <laughs> so you're downgrading me to a, a scooter, but yes, you know, I'm whatever. Say, I am saying you're so good, even right. on a scooter. Right? I'm saying, confident. You don't that, need that. Uh, fine. You don't need that. What are you talking about? Um, but still, that really is, that really is amazing to hear. I mean, it really surprises me. It it makes, again, I'm heartened by it. And, you know, I think one of this is the peel the curtain back a little bit, but good therapists, good doctors, good like healthcare professionals, coaches, you know, I'm putting my, I hope I'm putting myself in this column as well. We seek out our own sources of consultation as well. Right. Because what we want is to not be doing things in a vacuum. And what we want is to be kind of consistently growing our lens and our skill set and our kind of understanding. And so I have my own sort of colleagues and folks that I will get together with. Um, And, you know, often in a kind of very specific look, I need to I need to grow my thinking on a thing. I need to to kind of reach out um, and have, you know, some sort of trade or exchange for my own places of doing this kind of development. So it, it always encourages me, you know, nine times out of 10 when I'm working with other therapists, a part of what I'm supporting them with are their own personal reactions that'll come up from hearing stories that a client's bringing them right. that they don't, they very rightfully don't want to unload on the client. Right, right, right of course. Yeah. Right, that's your psychotherapy client. They're there to derive services from you. And you're still left at the end of the hour, maybe really activated or really filled up with stuff. And, you know, having what's, you know, kind of called counter-transferential feelings where you're really like, wow, I'm engaged in a relationship that's old for me and has nothing to do with this person and and being able to support folks. And and I do this a lot with other pro-doms as well, um, because often we can, a lot of, there's an interesting trend that I see in professional SM workers doing more work that's around kind of broader healing and more integrated wellness. Right. But the vicarious traumatization that can happen with that is really high. Right. You need yeah. to keep your instrument clean. You right, need to have right, the places right. that you go and like, you know, and get your own care as well. I, I actually, I think the last time you were on, the first time, and I know for, for certain the last time you were on, I've had several people, and I, I don't, I don't like this phrase, just because it sounds, I don't know, it sounds like something you'd say to to Betty White. Uh, people said you're such an inspiration, right? Oh yeah, that's great, and which is great. To Again, Betty White, I love Betty White. This is your example. You know I'm, saying? I'm saying, I'm saying, people say, oh, she's such an inspiration. Who's you know, inspirational? It's not that. It's not you know. The people are like inspired by you. How's oh, that? I love right? that. That's wonderful. I'll totally and take that. People have asked, just in passing, something like this, um, and you might not know how to answer it. But people have asked, like, how do I become the Morgana of Detroit or Morgana That's of fill in the blank town? People have asked, like, I, I, the, now, obviously, you're in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. You've said that that definitely helps in your situation. Mm-hmm. You know, the cops come to you because you're, you know, I don't know if the cops would come to you if you're in New York, right? Or It's very possible. Right? You know, it's a good town, right? right, it's, a, right. it's a progressive town for sure. So how do you, because you're out there mm. and you're not, you know, it seems like you are, you're not quiet about it, but yeah. you're also not rubbing people's face in it. Yeah. You know, it's, it's like. It's your friendly neighborhood dominatrix type That's of thing, it. right? That's it, Who right? are the people in your neighborhood? I mean, I don't know how to how else to explain, it, but you know what I'm saying. It's yeah. like you're very approachable. Yeah. How do you how do you give that vibe to people? Because I imagine you've probably changed a lot of people's minds. You know, out in San Francisco, just your neighborhood of right. what you do for a living. Well, right? you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna hearken us back to our earlier conversation because I gave you this lecture about how important the kind of unpalatable radical left is in movement making. Right. And how like we're the reason why like the thing that's in the middle becomes appealing. Right. And then in SM by virtue of just my own predilections and tastes, I'm kind of a mommy-oriented, teaching-focused, public-speaking, novice-embracing, warm dom. Right. And while the things that I personally might fantasize about as a dom and the things I like to enact might, in fact, be tremendously intense, I myself have never been drawn to the 
perhaps more um, culturally common stereotype of the like really mean, right. bitchy, cold, Germanic woman. Right. Right. Like I'm I'm like soft, approachable, oh, maybe overwhelmingly smothering mommy. Okay. And um, and it makes it I think it's I am fortunate to have personal just kind of identities right. that are highly palatable. Right. Okay. Um, and I always like to think that part of my responsibility and work then in being this kind of novice embracing warm, like, you know, squishy mommy type uh, is to remind folks that the like, you know, bitch goddess down the street, that the cold, icy, dramatic types are also really valid and important people right, right, in sure, SM. Sure. And so like you, I will welcome you in. But then my goal is to get folks to also really appreciate that the the other that they see out there right. is not in fact other it's just the volume is on a different setting yeah. than it might be with me so so but there's got to be more than just your persona that or do you think it's just your persona because- i mean i think that's a, i think it's an entry point i think it helps right and then let me maybe i maybe i'm asking the wrong question okay how would you suggest someone who wants to get more involved in their area community, who does not live in San Francisco, <laughs> but they want to be like sort of like the go-to person or, you know, they want to be they want to be the friendly avatar for the their area kink community mm-hmm. to the local, you know, to the local public. Right. So so that it's the person who is, you know, whatever right. that they can be, a, you know, I mean, I think I think there's a couple things I I definitely make a, a kind of concerted effort to role model a kind of integration that I'm often trying to encourage in folks that I'm working with. Right. right? So this sense of my own internal pride and comfort in my kink right. really goes a long way. And often when I'm working with folks, you can see there's a sense of this is an intolerable part of myself or this is a part that I really can't share with other folks. Right. Um, and and you know part of this is like strategic packaging right like we were talking about earlier right, right. and then a part of it is also just this like no i'm i'm leading with this like i'm i'm putting this out there this is a thing that i'm going to invite folks to to accept and uh, embrace about me i'm going to go down at the end of the sentence right, right. i don't actually have like personal insecurity around it right but then in terms of role in community you know i think it's more important to just do the work right and if and if so being a sort of symbolic like I want to be a kind of community leader. I want to be this like person. I want to be the go-to person. Right. You're the go-to person when you do the work. Um, so to to say, look, I'm just going to be active in the community in a way that feels like authentic and good to me. Right. And then connect with folks in that way. I mean, there's there's a lot of ways. When I started doing more like private teaching and consultation, that I ended up disengaging with a lot of community things because I had a you know space and it was nice to be in my dungeon, and that became a little more insular and a little less engaged right. in like big like parties and social things and it's kind of like a function of age and and other stuff. Um, but there's so much room I think in community for so many different ways of expressing that. Like I know in San Francisco, there are the folks that are out teaching, you know, in places every night. We're living in this kind of like munch and social culture right now, which is really great. And anywhere you go in the country, really, you know, even North Dakota, you will find places (laughs) where where folks are, you know, kind of getting together in that way. And if you don't see it in your neighborhood, then to, you know, maybe be the person who instigates it. You you mentioned earlier that you've been invited to consult on TV or film. Mm Is that a situation where they come in and say, here's the script we've got, and you and you go, no, no, this is nothing like it? Is that you kind of set them straight? Or and how bad is that usually that you're correcting them from? Or right. how does that usually... So my best experience of getting to kind of consult on a media project was, a, you know, sort of like mainstream Hollywood film that had a sex worker representation in it, where I was shown the script and asked to consult on the script. And the script had a couple, three, just sort of like pretty common tropes in it. You know, like the the sex worker lead was pretty wounded. Right. And the, um you know, inevitably like sexually complicated boundary crossing that happened with the client was like, particularly emotionally entangled. And she gave the money back and she quit the industry. And I was like, well, these are the things that I think, you know, I would love to not see happen. Right, and right. and that, you know, get they're just kind of like worn out. And the director did all of them. Oh, wow. Um, and then I got to go to a, a sort of, you know, fine cut screening um, 
you sort of like at a studio with all the kind of producers there and the film ended and the producers all started talking and the director shut them up and was like, I need to know what you think. Like, did we get that right? And I was like, that's, that's it. That's good. It was very exciting. Um, Because I mean, uh, I can't imagine, I mean, it's hard for me to imagine them asking people if they got that right, because people aren't usually concerned about getting that right, you know? Well, and it speaks to like where our lens is, right? I think so many people, because they've consumed other, you know, it's, it's again, this, this, the bad trickle down, they've consumed so many like copies of copies of tropes about, you know, queerness or sex working folks or SM that they think they know a thing about it because they've, you know, seen all the really like bad media representations, like in the groundwater. Right. right. Um, And so then they go off and say, well, of course we're going to create this character. And of course they're just going to do this because this is what these characters do. Um, And sometimes I think that's overt and conscious. And sometimes I think it's not, and it's always semiotic. It always has like a, a role in the finished piece. And those of us that live in community that's frequently maligned are kind of loaded for bear for that stuff. Right. Which is why when a show like Transparent comes out, you know, it's like there, that show is not just getting like feedback because of the show. It's also getting feedback for every instance before it where some guy has played a trans woman. Right. Yeah, um, you're right. You're right. 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 So it's 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 that and, you know, the sort of decades before. Although I will say Tootsie is one of my favorite films of all time. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um, I remember that. I think that's that- a fabulous film. Wow, yeah, and Hoffman actually got a lot of gruff doing it too. Mm-hmm. He got a lot of a lot of negative yeah. vibes. But it's such a like second wave feminist piece, right? Like that wasn't a trans character. That was this sort of yeah, like, right. wonderful like expose on on you know gender in the when did that movie come out? That was eighty three. Oh no, I want to say well maybe we need to clearly have done this like with the IMDb just like keyed up because who like, was the boss? Well, I can't remember. He was in Dabney uh, Coleman. Dabney Coleman. I was going to say he was in Dragnet, the yeah. Tom Hanks Dragnet. He was in. He was on like Dabney Coleman. Man, yeah. Right? yeah. I don't. I was going to say that's the first time that people have said the words Dabney Coleman and expose in the same the same <laughs> sentence. I'm here to help. And the same thing. <laughs> uh, so let's end this the same way we started it, somewhat, and that is uh, with Star Wars. Yes. Okay. I'm curious. So George Lucas has said that he's going to, for the first time, mm-hmm. he's going to be able to watch a Star Wars film. You know, he's never watched a Star Wars. I mean, he's he's never watched it that way. He's never had the awe, right? I'm wondering if, should we feel bad for him? Because there's a good chance, because he said that he was going to make a Star Wars film, basically, you know, uh, seven, episode seven. He was going to make episode seven um, in 2015 or 2016. So this is the movie he would have made. I'm wondering if when he's watching it, he's like, oh, fuck. One, two, and three. I totally fucked one, two, and three up. Or do you think... Someone also said that if you had young kids and you were making Star Wars, you'd make episode one, two, and three as well. Which I don't know if that's... I mean, make him that way. You know, you'd have the... Yeah. I don't know. I, I feel like I feel like he was deeply wed to those films. Yeah. And I feel like... Um, what he's done with the money from the sale of Lucasfilm is fabulous, right? And, uh, you know, God bless him. It was a fabulous time, like sitting back, watching, enjoying. I am not alone in being delighted that he's taking his hands off the franchise. Right, right, and I think J.J. Right. Abr- Abrams is going to kick some and it's yeah. going to be great. Sure. Well, and, you fun. know, we'll all be there, like, you know, in our kinky geekdom, ready to, you know. Now that Disney owns it, can they go back and make it so Han shoots first again? What I do hope they can do is go back and release the untampered with original trilogy, because the only way you can have this is on Laserdisc. Right. And um, and that's, you know, that's a commitment. I mean, you can digitize your Laserdisc, which is very, you know, there's a lot going on there. But um, no, I trust I trust Disney with like understanding how to market to someone's childhood. They're going to do fine. You think so? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Well, uh, in December, I'll be thinking of you and we're standing in line and I'm sure. And afterwards, I'll, I'll send you an email. Right, and, right. You have to text me. We'll, right. we'll, we'll follow up. It'll be good. I'll be live tweeting it. I'll be like, you know, in the back row. Of the That'll be very, it'll, I, I'm really, I'm really <laughs> excited. I don't know how many times. You got a year to wait. It's excellent. You're like, you no, know. it's 11 months. Yeah. It's 11 months. It is almost Should, to the day, actually. Yes. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm really excited and I'm so glad that, uh, I didn't know you were that much of a nerd, yeah. but this is, this is good to hear. I feel like I threw down tonight. That's excellent. Yeah, you Again, very... shut off an entire group of people, open the door to a whole new set. Yeah. I, th- I think you opened more than you shut. So <laughs> it's good to hear. It's good. Thanks for doing this. <laughs> Always a pleasure. You can find every single link we talk about 
everything we talked about with Morgana on Massacast.com. You can subscribe on iTunes or you can uh, find us on SoundCloud. I'm on Twitter, username Massacast, and hope you have a good couple of weeks. We'll talk to you later. Bye-bye.